This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Jajawurung and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to Ozpol Snackpo for 2022. We are the podcast that is just like an omelette. We'd like to crack a few yolks. I am sorry. That is the result of like 15 minutes of workshopping. Yeah, we we had some worse ones. So, you know, <laughs> you're <Yeah>. welcome. <laughs> Be thankful we didn't snack you to that. That's right. It's Ozpol Snackpod, the uh, extremely tight, well-rehearsed podcast that uh, every week brings you bite-sized chunks of Australian news, politics, and memes. And we're also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group. So if you like our rambles, go over there for some more memes. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Or welcome. I know there's at least two first-time listeners joining us in this episode. For the first Ooh. time. So welcome to SnackPod 2022. It's a very exciting time. How was your break, Zach? Uh, I love not reading the news. I'm going to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, it was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not reading the news feels feels great. It feels like dunking one's brain into uh, a cool bubble bath of uh, recently carbonated water. Um, but I feel, you know, you know, I, it's like... I. I feel now like I've been yanked back into the real world, like mm-hmm. Neo in the Matrix or the recent film, The Matrix Resurrections, where the exact same thing happens again, mm-hmm. but in, in a slightly different pod. And uh, I'm sort of hucking goo out of my lungs. Bringing slightly different pod energy to 2022. Slightly different pod energy. I've slid down the, the exhaust chute into the big puddle of... Uh, you know, nutritional goo, yep. and I'm ready to dive back into Australian politics and news for 2022. What about you, Noon? Yeah, it it was also nice not reading the news, but also I've had a horrible last few months. So, you know, uh, mm. good and bad things about um, <laughs> the middle of January. Uh, look, before we get Indeed. into the huge amount of news that we have to talk about, I wanted to shout out some new patrons who signed up over the break, which is nice considering that I mean, it's nice that you liked us being silent, um, but hopefully you like it even more now that we're talking regularly. So I did notice that. We stopped recording and then people signed up. <laughs> Sweet. That's a good deal for us. <laughs> I'll take uh, your uh, hush money. Yeah. Uh, so shout outs to hush money payers, Tara, Kat, Caradwin, the Brownish Bomber, and Milo. And also thanks to C with a bunch of numbers and Hill for increasing your donations. It's very kind. Um, we, If you like the show, Dear listener, head on over to patreon.com forward slash ospolsnackpod, and for a dollar a month, you get a monthly bonus episode and access to our Discord, and at higher rates, you get other cool stuff. And we spend most of that money on transcripts, so if you want to read the show instead of listening to our extremely annoying voices, you can go to ospolsnackpod.com, and they're usually up within about a week of the episode. Um, We also need some new audio gear, because we've had these mic stands since like episode three and they're literally falling apart Mm, and very occasionally we even buy ourselves vegan hungry jack's burgers with your patreon money so that's about as (laughs) like as much as we pay ourselves one time and noon couldn't finish the burgers too much mayonnaise 
was drowning in mayonnaise. Also, I thought we were getting impossible Which is why I love it. Burgers, not the standard uh, Hungry oh, no, Jacks. You've got to go the veggie patty. No, the Rebel nah, Whopper's not where it's at. No, clearly wrong on dry. this. Yeah. Oh, well, our first argument of 2022. Here it is. Welcome the robust back. debate the listeners come from come for. Speaking of what the listeners come for, Nerd. Should we get some news? <laughs> Let's do it. Hey, man, I got some more beers. Oh, uh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. Now, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. You know, yeah. when I played the theme song at the beginning of the show, I was like, oh, that's nice. Actually, I haven't heard that in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, yeah, still bangs. Yeah. And then just playing <laughs> that the sting and being sting. like, ah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Here we we're are again. still in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we took a break, and so did Australia's All ability governments. to deal with the coronavirus. Yeah, <laughs> yes. We, we were one of the one of the pun titles that we were thinking about for this episode was Ratatouille Two: Roni's Revenge. Um, yeah. So because you know, like rats, like rapid antigen tests. Because I'm sure this is going to be a surprise oh! to everyone listening. Oh. I get it, I get it. Yeah. But how does that relate to the movie Ratatouille? <laughs> well, you're all familiar with the sequel to Ratatouille, Ratatouille 2, Remy's Revenge. It's just a reference oh, okay, to that, yes. Zach. Yeah. Oh, sorry, okay. My um, bad, I'll stop interrupting. So, yeah, I'm going to blow everyone's mind right now, but there has been a huge shortage of rapid antigen tests. There just aren't enough in the country, and there are credible reports from pharmacies that the government is seizing private orders, though... The Department of Health denies that. Um, mm. Yeah. That so, sure doesn't sound like it's probably that big a deal, though, right? Should a complete be fine. lack of rapid antigen test? Yeah, I mean, it's because, you know, we can all go and get a PCR test any time that we want. Uh, wait a minute. I'm just getting some, some breaking news. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> there's not enough PCR tests. So there's hour-long lines and week-long waits for results. And they they keep... Saying sorry, we lost your sample. <laughs> cool. Oh, we had to throw it in the bin. Yeah, <laughs> we so know where it is, but we also can't use it. PCR tests are now supposedly only for people with symptoms, which also means that going there if you don't have the coronavirus often means that you catch the coronavirus mm. while waiting to get tested. I've had multiple people send me there, like you were at an exposure <laughs> site, the testing site. Um, <laughs> Jeez. At least like, you're collapsing the, uh, the time frame there. You know what I mean? Infection, <laughs> infection to, to test result time. The thing is minimum that, possible. That, that those results the will always you. be negative. So, anyway. Um, many, one of many good, robust systems working as intended. Not enough PCR tests. Don't worry. We're now accepting rat test results. Oh, there's no rat tests. Uh, and also, they are expensive. So it's not really accessible for people who don't have money. But don't worry, the government has announced what really is a legitimately very sensible plan to give concession card holders several free rats from their local pharmacy. Obviously, there's no <laughs> rats available, but if you're a concession card holder, you can rest easy knowing that you can not get them for free while everyone else has to not pay for them like chumps. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's totally that's that's very true. It reminds me of the uh like communist like Soviet Union jokes that Zizek likes to tell that about <laughs> like, you know, um <laughs> oh, how far were we into our first episode of 2022 before I said the Z <laughs> word, but 
but it's like you know um there's these you know bread lines or whatever in soviet union and someone's like why are you waiting in the line for medicine you're not sick and you need bread and this is the line for bread and the other guy's like yeah well there's no bread and no medicine but this line's shorter um <laughs> yeah anyway uh this whole situation is exacerbated by as many as 50% of all truck drivers in Australia are currently unable to work because of either being sick or isolating from contacts, which means supermarkets are running low on quote-unquote fresh food, um, which it seems like no fruit or vegetables are being affected by this, or, or only very slightly. So this is fresh food, i.e. meat. Um, but don't worry, Zach. I'm sure you're worried about the lack of meat supply. Don't worry. Very the worried. government has given at least one abattoir permission to keep workers working, even with a positive result. What the fuck? Um, that's cool. Uh, what well, I mean, it's good because abattoirs are also the perfect environment for the novel coronavirus to both to... incubate and spread, uh, <laughs> being the so perfect temperature and It's just like the PCR people. test. It's like straight exactly. in, straight out, just, no mucking around. You, you go in, you, you get the coronavirus. The time here. Yeah, this is a no fucking around strategy from the government. Get no in, nonsense, get it, keep Scott. Working. That's why we you always know. call him that. <laughs> yep. Uh, but this is a little entree, if you will, uh, to the main story that I want to talk about with coronavirus, which is that there's labor shortages. It turns out huge case numbers are bad for the economy. Surprised Pikachu.jpg. Uh, sorry, let me correct you there. Locking down is really bad for the economy? That is also correct. <laughs> I, won't, I won't dispute that lockdowns are also bad for the economy. <laughs> Uh, however... <laughs> no, no, we need to open up for the economy, Noon. Yeah, 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 We yeah. need to expose a huge amount of the population, including 50% of all <laughs> truck well, this drivers, is the thing. to a virus for the economy. This is the thing, is that, that a lot of businesses are having a hard time finding enough workers for interesting but largely very predictable reasons uh because like during lockdown we were warned about reopening too soon listeners may remember we talked about this a few times because businesses have a lot of expenses to like start running that don't they don't have to keep like paying that much like it's that the start is more expensive than continuing running you know like restaurants are an easy example buy a lot a lot of perishable food and then two days later it, you know there's a positive case there and they have to shut down and it's a lot more expensive than if they're just not opened for that time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we ended lockdown at the end of last year, businesses started hiring lots of people, which would be one of those startup costs. And in November, like four to six weeks after lockdown ended, job vacancies skyrocketed because all of the businesses were reopening. Um, but then the Omicron outbreak hit, and then all of the workers that were just hired are getting sick or isolating. And so the discrepancy between how much labor is needed and how much is actually available is like getting bigger all the time because the businesses mm. are still opening up more and more and hiring more and more people and more and more people are either choosing not to or unable to work. And so this like gap is getting bigger. It's actually a really fucked uh, table that is completely mm. uninteresting to talk about, but basically line go way up um, of like job in a bad way. The bad line go up. Well, it's the job vacancy line, which technically is like 
oh, the economy's going well, as so many people needed jobs. And one of the reasons that this is all very interesting is that normally, uh, like, when there are lots of vacancies, there's not much unemployment, and Mm. wages go down. But at the moment, there's a lot of vacancies and no one's filling them, and so businesses have to increase the wages that they're offering. Um, So it's kind of a reverse situation than most of recorded economic history, which is kind of interesting. But again, entirely predictable on the principle that opening businesses need to hire people, and in a pandemic, people get sick and then can't work. Like, I feel like... if you take restrictions away, the number of people who can't or don't want to go and get sick at work... (laughs) Will increase. Yeah, exactly. Line also go up. So, yeah, a recent report from uh, NAB says that about 40% of businesses are experiencing labor shortages, which is a lot. Um, And interestingly, they say that small businesses are having much less of an issue than big businesses, which to me suggests a couple of things. Possibly small businesses are more flexible and able to close for three days or have the owner come in to replace a staff member Mm. or whatever and stay open. Sure. Who knows? Possibly people are being forced to come into the office instead of working from home when there's like blanket decisions being made at like the HR level or whatever. Whereas Mm. if you're a small business with like four people, probably your boss is like, no worries, work from home and we can zoom in or whatever. Mm. Or option three, which is my favorite, but also least likely one, is that everyone has just read bullshit jobs over the past two years and has realized that (laughs) their life is a pointless waste of time. Um, So here's a quote from NAB. Um, In some countries, there is also evidence of some workers voluntarily quitting roles, just as demand rises and economies open, the so-called Great Resignation. But it remains unclear to what extent this is occurring in Australia. Uh, And so this is definitely true, and indeed there is plenty of legitimate criticism about whether the Great Resignation is, like, a thing at all. Um, Mm. But I am going to talk about it I would say also the great people being sick at home, meaning... Yeah, it it doesn't really line up with cases that well. Like, um, some of some of the criticism is that this doesn't count people who are then joining other jobs. It just counts people quitting. Um, sure. And there's also, well, yeah. So the Great Resignation is this phenomenon since about halfway through the pandemic, where people, mainly in the U.S., have been quitting jobs at never before seen rates. So, from Wikipedia. In the 20 years preceding February 2021, roughly a year after the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, the United States resignation rate never surpassed 2.4% of the total workforce per month, but since February 2021, it hasn't dropped below 2.4% um, and is now <laughs> up around 3%. So, yeah, it's never been seen in the 20 years that we've been keeping this record. Something like 4 million Americans are quitting their job each month. Um mm-hmm. Which is, would you say we are living in unprecedented times, no? Yes, I would, Kent. <laughs> um, yeah, so according to some research from Forbes and Harvard, the main reason that workers give for why they've quit their jobs or why they're planning to in the next six months is that they want more autonomy and flexibility and don't like being treated like shit by their bosses. Which sounds pretty reasonable, but also I feel like probably people have wanted those things for a long time. And I was going to say something similar. But then I guess the rebuttal to that would be the same thing that we always say about everything in this pandemic, which is that it just exacerbates already existing stresses. Well, And the, uh, 
like before getting treated by your boss might have included a certain amount of disregard for your bodily safety but it's i think now it's much more clear much that more it's apparent like when they're like death no, and no, no, no. disability we need you to come in and die yeah uh as scheduled yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> yes um not dying will come out of your holiday pay um <laughs> yeah but i think also you know, Zach, we very occasionally talk about materialism on this show, and I think this is fascinating because these are very idealistic explanations for behavior. They're like, mm. I have this like dream of being treated with respect or whatever, like this con mm. somewhat abstract concept of respect or sure. flexibility or whatever. And I think that we should be a bit suspect about idealism when explaining the behavior of millions of people. Like, like some of those people, I'm sure they did literally read bullshit jobs and were like, <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'm out. Uh, but I'm also sure that that's an upsettingly small percentage of them. Exactly. And yeah. so we need to have some kind of like material explanation for this. And I think that this is essentially the first time that we are seeing the new technology of the internet and computers truly disrupt the existing social order. Because up until go, now, do go on. since it like, you know, 1945 or whenever the Enigma was created until literally today technology the internet computers and like smartphones have been entirely captured and co-opted by existing power structures you know like microsoft apple uh fucking the nsa whatever right like sure. it, it's just all big fucking business doing big business stuff but there's almost never been a technological change so big in human history so it'd be weird if there wasn't any like social repercussions for or only like the minimal ones that we've seen so far. Mm. And yeah, I think that the great resignation is the first time that widespread access to the internet has looked like it could fulfill its promise of being the quote unquote information superhighway. Um, that like it can literally replace roads like in telecommuting instead of going into work. Right. And up sure. until now, no one has seriously done that, even though like futurists have been like, Oh yes, in the future people will work from home and, We'll mm. never leave our... Whatever. Um, pods. Pods, exactly. Yeah, yeah, our little goo pods. Um, and, like, this is the first time that that's actually kind of sort of happened. Mm. Um, people have been like, actually, I could work for anyone in the world, probably. And there's chances that anyone in the world might d be better than my boss. Or, like, I could just... <laughs> like, y yeah. And so I, I think that all of this stuff about people being, like, reassessing life-work balance or prioritizing working from home is like the capitalist media's best attempt at understanding what's going on without acknowledging that the internet in some ways like changes the relationship between labor and capital hmm. um, interesting theory yeah i mean i am currently working from castlemaine yeah which is something that i couldn't have done before the pandemic because i even though to you the office could have even yeah, even though I definitely could have. And the only thing that changed was that somebody said, "Okay, you can do it, do this now." Yeah, no, this is now practical. just like a normal option. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you you know, I mean, I guess we also need to be wary of any kind of explanation that seems overly pat or uh, or or simplistic in cases like these. Yeah, look, that's that's also true. Um, I could fully be wrong about this is obviously like a very hopeful outlook which is unusual for me and uh you know it's a maybe 
but also everyone read uh, Post Capitalism by Paul Mason. Maybe we could do a, a, a bonus at book club about it because um, it's fun and cool and feels relevant to this discussion. Sounds good. Uh, I will just say briefly back to like Australia poll. I'll mention the government's proposed solutions to this labor shortage issue. So possibly cut the requirement to isolate for close contacts. Cool. Increase international students' allowable work hours. Fuck those right. guys, right? Uh, reopen the borders. I'm sure that will help with the pandemic. Uh, put welfare recipients on work for the dole. Always a good idea. And ask age pensioners to rejoin the workforce. So it, it seems like all of those things will actively make the situation worse. Every uh, but... single one of those is just get more people sick. Yes. That, like... also especially vulnerable people. You know, people with no legal recourse and linguistic minority. Uh, you know, uh, the elderly a classic group that you want exposed it's, to It's so viruses. grim. And we're, we're really just completely past the point where the government is even pretending to, in any way, want to be prioritizing public health over business. Like, the, there was actual genuine tension between those two, like, <laughs> yeah, policy yeah, for like goals a couple of months for, like, there. two years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now it's just, like, they've just completely gone nut. Yeah. And it's, like... You know, reintroducing restrictions, mandates, lockdowns is almost completely off the table politically mm -hmm, now. It's mm -hmm. like this, you know, it's like can't be touched. Even here in Victoria where, you know, strict lockdowns made Dan Andrews a very popular premier. Yep. Despite a vocal minority, you know, who opposed them. But it's, yeah, it's like, you know, now that New South Wales has kind of set the example of we're opening up, fuck it. <laughs> You know, come what may, we're going to do it. It's like, mm. okay, well, everybody has to follow that lead now. We've seen that's the freedom, we've tasted it. Yeah, that that's how it is. And the only levers that the government is allowing itself to pull at this stage are just get more people. Like people are going home sick, pump more of them in there. We just got to like, you just they're just bailing the leaky boat with like more fucking buckets of workers, tossing them into the gaping more of omicron crossing their fingers and being like maybe if we shove enough fucking lives into the mouth of this beast in, it'll stop chewing up people in easter last year me and lou were thinking about going to confest because the pandemic was kind of on the like is this a huge deal or is it not kind of mm. line still and we were like look it's probably a bit irresponsible but if it's on we'll probably go and then one of us was like Going into the steam room is just like a 100% guaranteed you've now got the coronavirus. It's an anti-vax fucking paradise. Confest. Yeah, It's literally real. a hippie festival. Like, My point short was, of going to a Northern Rivers COVID party, that's, that's like as the most infectious get. event you could go Single to. Single place. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> my point is, I'm a little disappointed that in retrospect... That steam room tent is effectively the government's policy now. Mm. Yeah. Get them all in there. Steam it up, baby. All right, let's move on. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Coop Watch! Yeah, Coop Watch, the segment that's never upsetting. <laughs> this thing that everybody loves and wants all the time. Okay, so we're talking about the Aboriginal tent epicy. Um, which I'm sure that most people are familiar with in a general sense. They're not the yep. kooks, by the way, just to clarify that. Sure. But uh, 
you know, the, the average, Aboriginal tent embassy was set up 50 years ago. It's the 50th anniversary, like in a couple of weeks. Oh. It is uh, the longest standing protest currently in the world, which is very cool. That is cool. Um, it was set up to uh, call for land rights, protection of sacred indigenous sites, compensation for stolen land, all that good stuff. They're an amazing protest uh, organization who've been doing great work for decades. And yep. over the past few weeks, there has been an attempted hostile takeover of the Aboriginal tent, tent embassy by sovereign citizens. Um, oh, no. Yeah. That sounds bad. good. It's bad. Noon, um, 30 seconds. What's a sovereign citizen? Uh, someone who thinks that they have hacked laws um, and thus don't have to pay taxes or do anything else that the government say. Yeah, that's pretty much it. They just they 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 believe that governments uh, have no authority, and actually Australia exists only under maritime law. We've got a particular There's local a bunch flavor of, of it here. Different ones, but yes. yeah, yeah. I, th I think yeah. this will will give people a flavor for the sort of rigorous logic that's used. <laughs> I, I hope so. So this kicked off. People probably would have heard about this when um, the sovereign citizens started a fire at Old Parliament House in Canberra. So nowadays, Old Parliament House houses the Museum of Australian Democracy. Um, you know, it's not actually mm -hmm. a government, a, a an operational government building. Yeah. But um, yeah, a bunch of sovereign citizens went there and did what they called a smoking ceremony and set the doors of this building on fire, causing yes. um, potentially irreparable damage, which like, you know. I'm honestly not that concerned about the, the Australian old Parliament House Museum. Yeah, sure. getting set on fire. I'm sorry. It's a pretty impressive piece of direct action, but also they filmed themselves doing it, which seems like and pretty... claim that it wasn't on purpose. I don't even. But they were like, like, I spray out the it was spray the cameras so they can't see. All right, everybody, phones off. One minute later, <laughs> smoke billowing out of the doors and everyone, like, running out. Like, oh, it, it yes. was a smoking so, ceremony. Yeah. We, say, we say sovereign citizens, but there is a certain complexity here. We have to acknowledge that there are many First Nations people amongst this group. Sure. Uh, and many of them call themselves, quote-unquote, original sovereigns. Uh -huh. Which is... Yeah, that's what they call themselves. The Aboriginal Tent Embassy released a statement after this. They said that this quote-unquote smoking ceremony was done, quote, without the knowledge, consent, or mandate of the Embassy Council and traditional owners responsible for the regulation of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy. So these sovereign citizens have nothing to do with the Aboriginal Tent Embassy. Like I said, they're kind of attempting this hostile takeover of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy because right. sovereign citizens love to astroturf and make it look like they are representative of many more people than they uh -huh. are and have some kind of Especially deep political... Especially indigenous people. Massively. But as I say, there's complexity here. I'm going to read a quote here from a piece by Jack Lattimore in The Age, and mm -hmm. I'm going to link this because it's such a good piece, but also it's like somebody trying to explain to you the plot of... Avengers Endgame if you've never heard of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's just like right. all these characters and weird motivations mixed in here that get touched on in like half a sentence and then you move on and you're like, oh my, what are you... Okay, that, what? that actually sounds like a great 
bonus episode as well because I, 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 it, it I mean be. I am passing familiar with most of the major superheroes but not fucking anything past like Iron Man 2 so there's <laughs> well, like a solid you know decade of <laughs> Tom Tanneke is about to release a two-part episode on, on the sovereign citizen situation so that can be uh, your catch-up but yeah I do recommend this Jack Lattimore article but anyway let me read this quote at the head of the new protest group is Murrawiddy and Butterjee environmental activist Bruce Shillingsworth, whose prominent activism around water shortages and related issues in the Murray-Darling Basin has been nationally lauded. Shillingsworth was closely associated with the respected UN elder and cultural lawman Uncle Max Harrison, who was allied with the vaccine-skeptical Informed Medical Options Party and the broader freedom movement before his sudden COVID-related death in early December. Yeah, it's... It's a it's a collar tugging uh, moment. There are also so there there are like you know this group of sovereign citizens. There's definitely many First Nations people in the group. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, are definitely leaders, but there are also many white people mixed in there, going by quote unquote tribal names. Okay, oh, cool. um, you know, like what's your uh, who are your people? What's your heritage? Oh yeah, you know I'm up from the <laughs> yep. Uh, let me just uh, put that glass of water down. Prop <laughs> comedy done for this segment. So these sovereign citizens first started showing up at the tent embassy in early December and eventually set up their own camp nearby, which got broken up by the cops last week. And uh, let me read a quote from uh, another quote from that Lattimore article. When police moved them away from the portrait gallery on Thursday, they responded with QAnon style phrases such as your non-player characters Lamau. and quote, pedophile protectors indigenous members of the group demanded police prove their jurisdiction over the area with deeds and titles and shillingsworth repeatedly demanded that 100 trillion dollars in taxpayer gold be transferred to his personal bank account for breaches of a pseudo legal contract he attempted to serve on senior officers so this is really gold yeah that's that's very sovereign citizen that's a bold that's a big that's a big that's a big bill yeah yeah um (laughs) So they kind of got moved on by the cops, but then the sovereign citizens sort of reformed their camp basically right next to the tent embassy, which is like, you couldn't come up with a more on the nose analogy for their like failure to build a genuine grassroots movement and instead (sighs) just like steal valor from, you know, a decades long (laughs) protest site. Yeah, you know, it's just like, oh, we can absorb some legitimacy. So, of course, you know, the the existing Aboriginal Tent Embassy has not welcomed these complete fucking randoms who've shown up and then behaved completely out of pocket, mm-hmm. set buildings on fire and stuff. So the sovereign citizens naturally have turned on them. And there's been lots of videos okay. released of sovereign citizens yelling abuse at Aboriginal Tent Embassy members. Uh, the common catch cry is, sell out, you're a sellout <laughs> for not... Jumping on the fucking anti-vax Gross. bandwagon what that makes you fuck? a sellout. So yeah, in the meantime, the sovereign citizens have been planning a protest for today, day of recording, which apparently would involve storming old Parliament House. So even though there's no government operations that happen at old Parliament House, I, well, I, I think they, they maybe think maybe that's it, the reason. Well, their reasoning at least the superficial reasoning is that it's still the official seat of power because like, so I feel like maybe we've talked about this before in a guest episode or something, but Mm. 
maybe it was just an extensive thread on the Facebook group, but like, it, it, no, that's right. It was after the Capitol riots. Mm. That, like the idea is that like controlling parliament means you control the government. And that <laughs> was kind of true in 1915 and 1917 in Russia, where the parliament was comprised of like landowners who literally owned mm. like millions of square kilometers of land or what like they they really did control that country you know um mm. or, or like same in like the english revolution like the house of lords was full of people who had direct control over square footage of the ground and like owned all of the armed forces in that area and stuff and so being able to hold them hostage legitimately could give you control over the country craig kelly doesn't own the seat of bowen is that where he is or whatever the fuck like the parliamentarians are just fucking schlubs they don't do shit and being in that room like even if they managed to like camp out in that room parliament would still happen elsewhere like yeah it it's very you notice many politicians who go there officially legally and are unable to actually get anything done <laughs> true <laughs> yeah 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 can you imagine the subsets try to hold a meeting as well without like actual parliamentary rules or like hey you're not allowed to wave a prop around in here <laughs> take off this your hat this is like a 90 percent prop based movement as well yeah the number of like flags and there was some guy that had to like do a whole video being like no my shoes aren't red they're orange trust me I'm not one of because them. of the red shoes thing. <laughs> Fuck me, these guys suck. Yeah. Anyway, they, they, they suck so much. They think it's the official seat of power because, like, some some like government department or another official address is still listed as that, even though nothing happens sure. there. It's what it's all you know. It's all fucking nonsense. So, in the meantime, like I said, so they've been planning to storm Old Parliament House. And as you can imagine, their operational security is watertight and yes, absolutely zero cops or media None. found out about this. Um, <laughs> and so then uh, <laughs> yesterday, Friday afternoon, cops moved in and dismantled the sovereign citizen camp, which, mm-hmm. you know... Never like, that happy about cops doing things. No, and at least one Indigenous man that I know of was arrested. And that's, you know, that's not good. That's not fun and it's also i think an indication of the fact that these sort of fringe movements that try to you know that pretend to co-opt indigenous struggle are also very willing to throw indigenous people under the bus because when you put you know you know marginalized populations in situations like this you know we know what the results are so uh yeah, there. I mean, I guess the one sort of thing that muddies the water a little bit to me, you know, at, a, at like a political, you know, the, at the level of like political rhetoric or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that there is a certain dovetailing of like anti-colonial thought with certain elements of sovereign citizen bullshit. Sure, you know, <laughs> like the idea that the government is illegitimate, that like police and courts don't have any real authority. Like, yeah, cool. It's a big thumbs up, but when it comes to sovereign citizens, like their rationale for that is this sort of wishful thinking, mm. like, you know, diversionary well, bullshit that's that rooted really in like, it's like, it's, it's rooted in pseudo legal bullshit. It's not exactly. rooted in any. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's thing, a fantasy. They, they, they largely accept all of the concepts. Like, well, there is such a thing yes. as a legitimate court of law. 
Yes. You guys are just committing treason against the real law, and exactly. I know the real law, and it just happens to mean I don't have to pay my council rates. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, as you say, so it's, it's not, not like, like founded in any meaningful political principles beyond no. that sort of like naive libertarianism that yeah, you yeah, just mentioned. Exactly. There's definitely no radical ideas for how to actually improve people's lives in a material way. Right. And, you know, the fact that they're still ultimately, in many cases, being like the power of the British crown is ultimate just exactly. the version that I believe in, yeah. they're actually politically quite reactionary. So they don't, you know... It, it makes me also it... think of, like, illegalism or, like, various types of anarchism that involve, like, carefully disrespecting the law or whatever. But again, mm. as you say, that's, like, in this long tradition that involves other concepts like mutual aid or, like, has an end right. goal and, like, isn't trying to install the British crown as... <laughs> Like no, a, and the fact the that you're coming and trying to literally dislodge the longest standing protest camp in the world should tell you something about how politically illiterate your movement is. Yeah. I have a quote here from a piece um, in Indigenous X written by Linda June Coe, which I thought was, um, uh, yeah, sum, sum this up nicely. The Indigenous struggle is emancipatory from structures of racial violence. Sovereign citizens, neo-Nazi and conservative groups alike are about maintaining structures of racial power, not dismantling it. We are not the same, and yet we are constantly having to explain this and distance ourselves from those who co-opt and undermine our movement. Mm. So there's the muddiness cleared up, <laughs> right? Yep. Just like, it's, it's, that's in Damn. pretty fucking plain language. But of course, you know, like, even though this most recent you know, hubbub is built around these sovereign citizens' ideas. Ultimately, this is an evolution of the anti-lockdown, anti-vax protests. And you can go deep into the weird fringe ideas of the people in this specific iteration. But ultimately, the, it's the same kind of political motivation. It's the same, fuck you, I'm going to get mine, don't tell me what to do political mm -hmm. philosophy mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with taking care of people, nothing to do with liberation or collective struggle and the fact that you know the anti-vaxxers are using similar dirty tactics just you know a, a month or two ago trying to call it first mm. nations struggles lying about indigenous people being forcibly vaccinated in uh by the army in the northern territory so you know which is not just disgusting and cynical but actively fucking harmful to first nations people and yeah. again we see that played out here you know in a slightly different format but anyway you know it's a repetition of the same kind of gross dynamics that we've seen elsewhere in this disgusting movement full of cookers. <laughs> uh, I might finish off here with a quote. Uh, I, again, this is from the Jack Lattimore article in The Age, and uh, he ends with a quote from Ruby Wharton, who is an organizer with Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, and she's talking about you know the difference between these people who call themselves sovereign and the idea of mm -hmm, indigenous mm -hmm. sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Sovereignty is our birthright. It's our birthright to occupy our traditional homelands. It's our birthright to speak language. It's our birthright to practice our traditional laws and protect our country. The sovereignty these other people talk of is sovereignty away from the crown, which is totally delusional because the only way these white people have any sovereignty in this country is through the crown. It's delusional for any kind of comparison to be drawn here. It's absolutely not the same and never will be. Yep. It's like, boom. Uh, cool. Why don't we move on now to Positivity Corner. So, 
this is another classic snack pod positivity corner. If you're one of our two new listeners, that means it's really a bad thing that's happened, but that people are doing <laughs> cool activism about. As, uh, technically, we're counting it as a good thing because it's slim pickings for good news. Um, but this is legitimately cool, uh, which is about a boycott of the Sydney Festival, which is a three-week-long arts festival held every year in January in Sydney. Um, and the boycott is because the festival took $20,000 from the Israeli embassy to support a production of a dance by an Israeli choreographer. And the Sydney festival listed Israel as a, quote, star partner on the festival website and their, like, flyers and stuff. And a boycott was called by a coalition of Palestinian solidarity organizations led by um, Palestinian Justice Movement Sydney. And as a result, over the last few weeks, more than 25 artists have pulled out of the program. Um, and, like, more coming every day. Uh, the board of the Sydney Festival has refused to return the money, despite it being less than 0.002% of their budget, um, and they've lost something like 5% of their acts, and significantly more than that, of their public goodwill. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like bad maths from the board there, but anyway. Um, so I wanted to touch on a few different things about this, and I guess two of them are, like criticisms that i see of the bds movement and this particular mm. boycott in 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 particular and yeah. then i just wanted to ramble vaguely about my experience in israel with propaganda um sure but yeah so that the two well the first criticism that people are bringing is like activists are being horrible to artists or musicians or performers or whatever who uh, not participating in the boycott and they're being targeted and harassed. Um, and look, I think this sort of thing probably is happening a bit by some people who are not thinking very carefully about how they want to be with this protest. But mm. all of the leaders of this boycott have been super clear that they're not boycotting the artists and that they don't begrudge artists who decide that they need this work and are going to do the show. Um, and, like, I was talking to my housemate about this before, and, like, maybe if this was, like, the last thing that would end Zionist occupation, like, maybe we could begrudge the artists for not tapping out in that case. Mm. But in this case, it's just one thing. It's one part of a long, decades-long, century-long struggle. And, like, I think the artists, for the most part, it's okay to do something less than math maximally ethical if you feel like you need to for your ability to pay rent or whatever. But yeah, fed, whatever. But also there's no there's right a lot way of... to protest to for these for that these too. people who are opposing it, right? Right. Like, oh right. no, 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 your protest should be nonviolent. Any kind true. of rea any kind of violent reaction to actual physical violent like Israeli yeah. occupation of Palestinian oh, well, you can't territory. Stop in the street. That would be inconvenient for people, and uh, so just do something else. Oh, but you also can't. Oh, you can't withdraw. <laughs> yeah. You can't just ask someone not to participate in a cultural event. That is also violence and yeah. worse than a genocide. Yeah, and, um, yeah. The goalposts will constantly shift. So even totally. if there is some truth to that, like get fucked. And the other thing my, is that a lot of analysis. the artists are really telling on themselves, mm. um, like. A couple of people, I think, have been like, oh, this is terrible, I do stand with Palestine, I've decided to keep doing the show anyway, and people have been like, okay. But then there have been some people being like, 
Well, I have this Michael Lunig quote that says that I'm a good person and anyone who's mean to me on Twitter is actually the real racist. And here's a quote from MLK, who would have loved Israel. And that's why I'm never listening to anyone who says anything mean to me ever again. And it's like, you could have not put your foot all the way in your mouth. And yet you have. Um, so, And yet here we are. Yeah. I think dunking on those people on Twitter is completely fair. So anyway, there you go. People targeting artists. Maybe sometimes that's happening in inappropriate ways. For the most part, it's happening to people who were like, please roast me for being a dick. Um, So that's my take on that one. The other objection is, you know, this won't change anything, right? And there's a lot of variations of this, like, this is an arts thing. Arts aren't what's doing a genocide. Or possibly, Mm -hmm. like... This is $20,000 that doesn't matter on the other side of the world. Do you really think Israel cares about this dance performance? This is blah, blah, blah. Or like, yeah, Israeli arts funding so is unrelated to other stuff. Huge opposition to the boycott. Exactly. That's much they don't yeah, care. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And that was something I was thinking of. It was like that saying that I think is often attributed to Gandhi, though I have no idea who actually said it. That like, uh, first they ignore you, then they make fun of you, then they fight you. And then they, uh, then you win, or something along those lines. Mm. It's a bit twee, but I think is a useful one to keep in mind when you're in, in the middle of an extremely long campaign that it feels like you've been losing for a long time. Mm. Um, that, like, yes, exactly what you said, Zach. There's a lot of pushback from Israeli like ambassadors in Australia and Israeli brands and stuff. Um, yeah, and being like, this doesn't affect us at all, which is why you shouldn't take part in it. Um, yeah. But yes, also, Zionist I mean, it's worth noting not Israeli. Yeah, worth noting that there's been a huge amount of public support for the boycott as well. Totally. in in you know a way that I think you probably wouldn't have seen five, ten years ago. Right. Like I think this is you know it, it's actually a sign of huge progress. The amount of traction and and kind of public conversation Definitely. that this boycott has has generated, and, and it's this like conversation the about it consciousness in the, yeah, in the context I, of Sydney yeah, Festival. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a big event, but also I think part of the reason that they were able to get traction is because, yeah, it's an arts festival mm. and artists are, you know, generally speaking, more likely to be susceptible to a political message than that, as opposed to, say, trying to boycott an arms dealer, which might be a slightly more direct form of, like, you know, uh, boycotting Israeli industry. Or sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and look, that's the other thing I wanted to say was that this whole campaign is bo- BDS, boycott, divest, and sanction, divestment and sanctions. Mm. And this is a super reasonable and historically extremely effective group of tactics. And the one that people always mention is that like BDS led to the end of apartheid in South Africa, which I don't know heaps about it. Seems like it's probably an oversimplification, but is also was a major aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And that included famously the Springboks, the the rugby team and like oh but they're not political, they're just playing sport or whatever. It's like the same yeah. shit. Oh, it's just a dance show or whatever like yeah. It it's all just a dance show until it ends an apartheid regime, you know? Um and like boycotts but- have been incredibly effective at changing all sorts of product decisions and brand decisions throughout the last couple of centuries they're really effective divestment is a major plank of the like saving the human race from climate change movement that i think is one of the more sensible and achievable tactics so i think bds 
as a whole, it's really hard to criticize on a tactical level, it, except if you have some emotional response to it, right? Like, oh, I like artists and don't think artists should give up any of their income under any circumstances. Or, um, my cousin is Israeli and therefore I feel like this is targeting him personally or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, like the, the tactics make perfect sense. It will change things. Shut up. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, I think the, the idea that it's being fought on this, in this context of like image, it's not, you know, like it's not about military funding or whatever. Right, right. Um, but is is actually crucial because like Israel has consistently for a really long time launched this massive, very intentional international campaign in order Absolutely. to paint itself as this progressive liberal democracy. Right, right. In order and to yeah, so people start get, you know they're like oh yeah I remember I saw that really great Israeli dance show at the city they can't festival. All be passively participating in a genocide. Yeah. Um, so that leads me very nicely into the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which is Hasbara, which is a Hebrew word that gets translated by Zionists as Israel advocacy and by me as propaganda. Propaganda. Yeah. And so Hasbara is like an industry in Israel. Um, it's like PR. I mean, there's a bunch of ways to make this more anti-Semitic than it needs to be, but it's like Israel PR. That's maybe a more neutral kind of way of putting it. But, um... I did Hasbara lessons when I was in Israel um, and we got drilled on this shit. So like, you know, they would play a clip of some British minister being standing up in parliament being like, Israel bad. And be like, all right, noon, tell this man why he's wrong and convince the entire British parliament why Israel good. And I would stand up and be like, Israel good though. Um, and you, you know, were there one... as part of a Jewish youth group. Central I was. Australia. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Thanks for mentioning that. Not yeah. just a, all of our a, new listeners. A, a tourist who went through. and got di- yeah. and did a propaganda class. Yeah, I was there for like a year <laughs> on a gap year thing. It was a much more intense propaganda class than that. Yeah. Um. But there's a bunch of arms of this in the international sphere, like greenwashing, pinkwashing, and art washing. So yeah, greenwashing is oh, we're so environmentally friendly, and Israelis like you know Hasbara activists love to talk about how environmentally progressive Israel is with their trees and blah 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 and pinkwashing about like oh it's the only country who doesn't hate gays in the Middle East or whatever but like don't mention Didn't... all of the anti-gay street crime that happens <laughs> in Jerusalem but like yeah um it's uh, not on the there, but Tel Aviv is cool yeah yeah um unless you're an Arab obviously but or African but <laughs> but if you're a white gay Ugh. Tel Aviv is really nice um yeah, art washing, which is exactly what you're talking about, trying to present Israel as this like hub of culture and beauty and whatever. Mm. And I feel like if Israel is spending millions of dollars on it every year, it's probably worth getting in the way of it somewhat. Mm. And this is only a $20,000 investment that they put in financially at the start, but it's cost them way more than that in terms of... like future investments that they're not going to be able to make right like Mm. sounds like sydney festival might not take money from israel again in the future but they're going to do it in a quiet way rather than be like yes we will hand this back they'll just be like no thanks and yeah the the shitty thing of being like oh we're not going to actually we're not going to do anything now because we don't want to look like we're listening to you but we've promised to have a board meeting about it in the future yeah one of my favorites was also the board didn't know about it until we looked at the flyers uh (laughs) which is like 
Okay, so what do you do? <laughs> if, you, if no one on the board knew about this, let alone organized it, what do you do? Guys, please. We're not actively reactionary. We're just totally fucking incompetent. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. And a little reactionary. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, the last thing I wanted to say about this, which is like somewhat off topic, but is just about Husbara. I've started doing Hebrew and Duolingo, which is a kef. I've been enjoying it a lot. But um, <laughs> like, uh, it's really fun because I feel like Duo is a terrible way to learn a language, but it's a good way to remember a language that you learned a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and Or you could just remove yourself from all linguistic stimuli for the first seven years of your life. And come out the other end speaking Hebrew. Speaking Hebrew. Hebrew. Yeah, exactly. That's a uh, a deep cut for some of our listeners. But um, <laughs> uh, but my point is that the Duolingo exercises have a bunch of like subtle slash not so subtle husbara in them. For mm. example, I'm a vegetarian and I'm a good soldier, which is... Um, I mean, vegan washing, I was going to say, you know... It's I didn't, a huge I didn't, deal. Oh, I didn't want to be the vegan in the, the room. No, like but, the most vegan, po- highest percentage of vegan uh, vegans in, of any population of, of any nation on earth. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and there's like thirst trap Instagram oh, IDF soldiers. No. And but okay, my point was I'm a vegetarian <laughs> and a good soldier. Um, also blue and white, and like a variety of other things that are just like low grade Israeli nationalism mm. in your like entry level exercises. Yeah. Um, so like. I wonder how much of that this there is, is a in legit the, in part the, like, of Israel's ones. plan. You know, like yeah, soft power I, is very important. That's cultural all, that, influence is very important. It's a yeah. major pillar of their foreign policy like, and and cultural capital and like yeah. acceptability and stuff. Anyway, that's a big long ramble tangentially related to BDS. Um, this protest is, uh, and a boycott has clearly promoted awareness of BDS a huge amount and like power to them um i'll drop a few links in the show notes for people that you can follow on twitter and instagram for like more constant and like close to the organizer like perspective than me or zach can give you um it's at janine ak and fahad s ali but i'll put links below so you can you can go follow them cool thanks for that noon um let's move on now to our first nation story for this week um and uh, I wanted, I just wanted to talk about the latest development uh, in regards to this coal mine that almost was the okay, yeah. the, the planned Shenhua mine, which was going to be on Gomorrah country in northern New South Wales, aka the Liverpool Plains. So uh, this is a, a you know the land that has many pieces of of important Gomorrah cultural heritage on it. There's sacred sites, including uh, grinding grooves, which is where mm-hmm. uh, uh, First Nations people would uh like sharpen their axes there's burial sites there's artifacts um and the other kind of major thing to note about this land is that it was previously you know quote-unquote owned by farmers Mm -hmm. before it was acquired by the state government and is you know considered to be some of the most fertile farming land in australia so you know the proposed mine that was going to go there was not only going to uh potentially destroy uh, a huge number of important First Nations sacred sites, but also cre- create widespread environmental havoc that could have fucked up, like, a- Australia's food supply. Uh-huh. So it's good that it's not happening. But anyway, let me quickly run you through the history, So, uh, uh, which is long and, and silly. So back in 2008, Chinese government-owned mining corporation Shenhua 
bought an exploration license uh, for this area of land for $300 million from the state government. Then there was about a decade's worth of opposition from local farmers and traditional owners. Gladys Berejiklian's government bought half of that license, that mining, uh, that exploration license back from Shenhua for $262 million, which as we all know is 50% of, of $300, $300 million. Correct. Yeah, yeah, I was just um, doing that yeah. quick maths. And I think it also, <laughs> yes, it, it also happens that that 51% of the land that they bought back from Shenhua uh, was not ever going to get mined on. And so Shenhua was like, it's cool. We'll just do the mining on the rest of the land that we're already planning to do the mining on. Then in 2020, the federal environment minister, who was then Susan Lay, acknowledged that the sacred sites, uh, the, the Gomorrah sacred sites on that land. On hmm. Yes. She said that the Gomorrah sacred sites on that land, quote, retain immeasurable cultural values and connection to country but basically went on to say that the coal money was too important and so we're, they were going to mm-hmm. do the mine anyway in full knowledge that it was going to destroy important thing. cultural history. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, so then in mid-2021, which is when we last talked about this, the mm-hmm. New South Wales government paid Shenhua a further $100 million to cancel the project completely. This is not just in the context of the ongoing opposition from local communities, both traditional owners and farmers, but also in the context of China stopping buying and making coal for a while. Um, sure. Because pandemic. Uh, so <laughs> as soon as there was like a little bit of an, of, of an economic uh, out Pickup. for the government, yeah. they were like, okay. So Shenhua uh, got a total of uh, $362 million from the state government for a mine that uh, never happened. Which is when they paid three hundred, right? So that's yes. still a twenty-six million dollar invest, uh, like sixty-two return. Sixty-two. Yeah. yeah. Who knows what they spent doing exploration stuff? But like they're do- they're they're I fine. Mean, I don't think we guys. need to worry about <laughs> yeah, fuck them. Yeah. But I don't th- also don't think we need to worry about their books. <laughs> Whether this one worked out all right for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the latest news is that. That farming land, which was originally acquired for the mine, has now been bought back by local farming families from the government for $120 million. So <laughs> nice to see it. It's, you know, it's coming full circle. We're, we're getting there. Um, Is it still money laundering if there was no <laughs> crime in the first place? Like, they're just doing it for fun? <laughs> it's just 13 years of, yeah, pass the parcel. Um, and this isn't super relevant, but, um, this quote tickled me, uh, a spokesperson for the New South Wales deputy premier and regional minister, Paul Tool, Paul Tool said the return of prime ag- agricultural land to local farming groups is another win for the community and vindicates the government's decision to rule out coal mining on the site. Oh yeah. Uh, you guys get so much you, credit for this you decision. You ruled it right out, didn't yeah. you? When you <laughs> sold them that exploration license. <laughs> well, the license was initially sold under a Labour it's, government, but then it was going to continue for a long time <laughs> under the Berger sure, yeah, government. Yeah, yeah. But yes, point nevertheless taken. So yeah, it is good that the Shenma mine is really, really dead now and that that good. crucial farmland has been protected. It's back in the hands of farmers and not, you know in danger of being Currently poisoned forever yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or yeah or just becoming a hole in the ground but for the gomoroi people they're kind of back where they started mm. in regards to their sacred sites um i've got a quote here from dolly talbot who is uh, one of the representatives of the gomoroi custodians of this land these are sacred places to the gomoroi we've been fighting for years for them 
these properties have now changed from one hand to another. While it's good farmers have had a win, what about Gomorrah people? What about traditional owners? So there was no government consultation at all to ensure that Gomorrah people would get access to those sacred sites mm -hmm. or even that the sites would be protected once right. they were sold back to farmers. Here's yeah. another quote from Talbot. We've still got to resort back to jumping fences if we want to visit these sites or rely on the good faith that farmers will allow us to do that. Mm. And even if the farmers of today allow us to do that, what about the next generation? So the president of the National Farmers Federation, who's been personally quite involved in this campaign, has said that she will encourage farmers to work with Gomorrah people. That's obviously no guarantee. No, no. You know, but she also did acknowledge that the success that the campaign had in opposing the mine was, you know, due in large part to working alongside Gomorrah people. That, sure. You know, it was really this campaign. I mean, campaign. that's good to at least acknowledge that. Sure. Um, and, you know, and I, I didn't think, you know, the campaign, like, was hiding that at the time. Locked the sure, gate. Sure, sure. You know, has a history of working with First Nations people. Totally. And NFF is owners. an interesting organization on that level as well. Um in the, yeah. the sort of structurally opposed, but like as a there are many instances where really, anyway, yeah, yeah, and there are many instances where interests overlap. I mean, totally, you know, yeah, not to an extent. Permanently destroying land is actually you're finding something that most a few people interest. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is like you know, ultimately in the, in in the story of this parcel of land is the it's kind of like. Yeah, as Dolly Talbot says, it's like, you know, this is a win in, in, in a, from a certain perspective and for, yeah. for some people, but it is also in a broader sense of story how, you know, the First Nations people's fights to protect country and culture reach out and positively affect so many other people mm. beyond, you know, just the traditional owners themselves who are fighting for this stuff. And of course they have huge beneficial, uh, huge benefits to the environment in a general yeah, sense. Yeah. But even, still, even in these cases where they make crucial contributions to the protection of land, even when they're, you know, when they're intimately involved in the organizing of, you know, opposition mm. to coal mining and that kind of thing, still see their interests repeatedly sidelined by governments and in some cases, unfortunately, by the people that they fight alongside, you know, to get these results. So, yeah, hopefully there's some kind of formalization of protection for these sites sure. uh, and access for Gomorrah people. I'll follow that story as it as it develops. Um, but that's where we're at at the moment. Um, yeah. All right, thanks for taking us through that, Zach. Uh, solidarity with the traditional owners. And yeah, hopefully we, um, as you say, see that protection actually implemented. Yeah. Should we move on now to our next segment? Shitpost of the week. It's been a while since we've had a shitpost of the week. There's been some busy posting over over the break, but um, we wanted to, uh, you know, at least touch on the most important story of this week. And I say most important because it's the one that's made Zach punch himself in the forehead the most times. It's my main metric for what's most important. I've never before muted a word on Twitter. Yeah. Uh. It was Novak, right? That was... Yeah, yeah. and I, that's my mistake. I should have muted Djokovic, but anyway. Yeah. Well, this one would have got through, as you say, because it, uh, <laughs> this, uh, Steph posted this in Ozpol shit posting. If you want to win shitpost of the week, dear listener, just go to Facebook slash groups slash Ozpol shitposting, post the memes. 
Um, Steph posted this. This could one. be you. Yeah. Uh, and she said, this is obviously false because Smiggle is like cracked to little kids. But so, <laughs> and, and the content is a tweet from at Tennis Poonit, who I wonder if they like tennis. Um, and they said, my daughter was packing her Smiggle bag for school. And I said, that brand is from Australia. She said, can I have a new bag then? Well done, Australia. You really got yourself the next gen of fans. Many children will think Australia equals North Korea. Hashtag, we stand with Djokovic. This, I mean, aside from being a classic example of the uh, that and child didn't say clapped. that genre yeah, yeah, yeah. of of I was tweet. just thinking of Vic Rollins and Dr. Queen Victoria and the, the in the shitpost yeah. roundup with her um, niece her, dressing, dressing up as Dan Daniel Andrews for a superhero yeah. party. Yeah, strong Ruth Conda forever energy uh, <laughs> yes. on on this yes, tweet. exactly. Uh, and also just <laughs> even in this dialogue that this person has written for themselves, their response to their child, like, like that, their child is literally packing their school bag and they go, that brand is from Australia. Why aren't you what? boycotting <laughs> Smiggle? We don't stand <laughs> Smiggle in this house, Cindy. Burn Obviously. it now. <laughs> I bought your bag for you some months ago before this incident occurred. <laughs> you never should have put this on your Christmas list, Cindy. No, no, no. I think this is Tennis Panit just, like, weighed down with the the suffering of <laughs> Novak. The Christ of crowns. <clears throat> there you go. Is we that got... your impersonation of um, Novak Djokovic? <clears throat> we got <laughs> AO. I say we got we got twenty minutes in before I mentioned Zizek and nearly seventy before we mentioned Christ. Um, but <laughs> exactly, she's we got she's, KPIs, people. Don't worry. She's got her you know stigmata bleeding out, tennis stigmata, and she's just <laughs> crying constantly for the last thirty six hours. And she looks down and sees baby Cindy touching this Christ hating <laughs> item, and she just. That bag is from Australia. You know, she's betrayed herself as much as Cindy has, but that's how I picture it. It's just an outburst um, of, of yeah. pure pain. No, a, r- a rough day for the Tennis Panit household. Family. Um, yeah, but it, it, is, it is also this it, it kind of the perfect encapsulation of the total illiteracy when it comes to people's understanding of what Australia actually is. Like, yeah, oh. we we are a really, really bad fascistic country with horrible, horrible border laws. And you, what's that? You, you say know? our immigration system is bad? It's, wait a minute, this isn't an example of that. <laughs> this like, is what is this? North Korea? And, and there's so many uh, like comparisons as well. It's like Western country do horrible thing. What is this? Asia? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like, no, we have been famous for this for a really, really long time, tennis. Okay. I haven't, I'm, I haven't actually seen this anywhere, but I'm sure it's been said that the, like, lack of fresh meat in supermarkets because of our government's decisions, I'm sure someone has said it's like socialism. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. I mean, that's essentially this tweet as well. But like, yes, capitalists complaining that capitalism is communism. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, it's really hard to give a fuck about this story. 
Zach, dear listeners, when we were planning the episode, was like, we like got on the Zoom and was like, we're not talking about Novak Djokovic at all. Um, but this was the shitpost of the week that we landed on. But until that, we were thinking about calling this episode the hour-long Nova- Novak Djokovic visa immigration scandal spectacular special episode. Um, <laughs> but then we decided to actually mention him. So obviously we had to cut that the joke. joke wouldn't have worked, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Fuck that guy. Yeah. I guess. Um, by Smiggle? I don't want to find... I don't uh, want Smiggle to get milkshake ducked. <laughs> I don't want people to write in and tell me about all the horrible shit that Smiggle has done. If you want to boycott Smiggle, fine. Smiggle. Go for it. Fuck you, Smiggle. If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. That's not technically podcasting. You still gotta do that shit. Uh, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can join the Ozpo Facebook If you steal your memes, Facebook just shoot group. us a message saying, hey, you stole my meme, and I'll tag you and credit you about it. We'll, we'll give you the credit. You can join the Ozpo Shitposting Facebook group. Uh, you can rate and review us on iTunes, and you can also give us a rating on Spotify now. It's a new oh, thing shit. they've done. If you listen to us on Spotify, even if you don't, pop just- over there, give us the old five stars. We would love that very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you really like what we do, you can go over to Oz- write us a handcrafted card. That, oh, you had a yeah, different thing you with with a dollar in it. Yeah, <laughs> each month. Uh, for the rest of time, you can go over to patreoncom pod for as little as one dollar a month. You can get a monthly bonus episode plus other benefits. Go and check it out if you want to support us financially. We would love that. It's true. You know, some people have said that they've found it to be a rewarding, fulfilling experience. I can't speak to that. You know, that's we just we just receive the money we don't give it, so it's a different you know, but but it's fulfilling for us to get it. So uh now it's uh that's that's probably it. Oh I guess you know Noon probably wants to tell you to go watch stream uh, No, I've been streaming for ages, but I might at some point. But I'll uh, you'll hear about it. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> you'll hear about it, listener, don't worry. Uh He's okay. coming back. All right, let's go. Now it's time for a pop game. The other P zone. It's true. This is also a P zone. The pup zone. What's your little pup been up to? Bagel's been a hot boy. It's a hot time. It's a hot shed. He's mm. got a little jacket on. Um, hot bagel summer. Exactly. Every summer is a hot bagel summer. Thank you, yes. La Nina. I love you. Please come back every year. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, friend, confidant, member of our inner sanctum, Coot, uh, you know, really went above and beyond as a patron and dropped a blue shell pool over at our house uh, oh, wow. a couple of weeks ago. What a and, boon. Yeah. Thanks, Coot. It's very sweet. Uh, and perfectly timed, and Bagel has been loving it. So I've been filling it with water and then dropping treats in it, and so he'll, like, slightly reluctantly step into it, and as he puts his snoot down to pick up the treats from the bottom of the pool, he goes, I'll get some water for some prop comedy here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that came through, but he like breathes out as oh, he goes down. To, oh, good, <laughs> and like, uh, and then gets the little treat, and it's fucking adorable. So if I'm worried he's not drinking enough, you know, or what, he's too hot, just you know, take him out, pop Drop him in the, pool, in the pool, pool for a few minutes. And he doesn't like having all four of his paws in it. Um, mm. Two paws, fine. Three paws, maybe. Four paws. I will hover this Step fourth it back paw. Here. It, it, it. He just like keeps it up in the air. Like, he's like, I realize I can't, I'll just, I'm not going to commit fully here. Um, but anyway, yeah, so he 
it, it, it's very sweet. He has occasionally put all four in. It's been very exciting. But uh, what know, a brave ad- boy! Adorable. Yeah. Uh, and what about Dumpy? What's he been doing? Well, we've been up in uh, Castlemaine, not uh-huh. in Melbourne, as uh, as we normally are. And uh, Dante's been experiencing many new adventures. One was that we took right. him to the local swimming hole, and um, you know, I tried to coax him into the water, and uh, we had a similar experience to Bagel trying to uh-huh. get into the shell pool. Uh-huh. Dante just being worried and concerned in a general sense about people being in water, water existing, him being near water, near other water. people yeah, being exactly. near him. Yeah. So uh, that was a bit of a bust, but uh, I'm I'm planning on trying to take him to the beach uh, when we head there, uh, hopefully next month. So cool. keep, I'll keep listeners posted on uh, on the Dante water updates. Otherwise, yeah, you know, he's just a bit generally kind of unsettled because we're in a new place. Yep. And so it's like, it's like he's regressed a little bit. Like he ne- he now needs to go out a couple of times a night to wee when normally he would just be comfortable and wait mm-hmm. until morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also been doing weird things when he pees. And this is it's funny that you mentioned the hover foot because yes. uh, one thing that Dante's done a couple times since coming here is lifting up only one of his front paws when he wees. Wow. Not one of the back what ones. What the fuck? Is, yeah. What? That's Which, wild. I think it's basically him like hearing a noise in the bush and then being like, I need to be alert about this, but also I need to pee. And then staying alert <laughs> while peeing. Wow. It's, yeah, strange, strange situation. But it has been really nice, um, you know, being able to walk with him through like bushy areas. Yeah, out on yeah. like yeah, on a walking track and listen to bird song and have him sniff bushes instead of just like totally. yell at trucks. Um, yeah. So you know, there's definitely been I, um, some relaxing, pleasant elements to the uh, Dante's country adventure as well. That's great. Yeah, I, I fully forgot I was also away for a week in the country, but I'll give you a update about that next week listeners so oh excellent get hyped stay tuned all right everyone. everybody thanks well, so much for listening thanks for tuning in uh first episode 2022 you know okay we're you. warming up we're warming up where it's like the yolks have been cracked and they're kind of lightly simmering you know next week we might get a bit of a scramble happening potentially a bit of an uh omicromlet if we can if we can swing it sprinkle some chives in there mm. Quit chive enough. All right, that's enough for this week. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Uh, in the meantime, keep on snacking in the free world. Fuck David Wynn Miller. Crunch, crunch. <laughs> Google it.